This episode is sponsored by A-List. A-List is an innovative educational services provider made up of passionate educators dedicated to helping students from all backgrounds achieve their academic goals and successfully prepare for their educational futures. From standardized test prep for the SAT and ACT to professional development, data analytics, and AI learning platforms, A-List annually serves more than 80,000 students across the U.S. and via its international offices in London, Dubai, and Shanghai. Now, I happen to know one of the founders, and he is exceptionally passionate about education and building a brighter future for the students he works with. And I think this ethos has permeated the entire corporation. Check out their website at alisteducation.com. On this episode, we have Danny May. Having been good with his hands during his youth, Danny began his career in a craft trade focusing on plumbing. His entrepreneurial spirit has always been strong in him, and he dabbled in a number of other business areas, including solar energy. On a trip to China, where a bad software translation nearly landed him in trouble, Danny saw an opportunity to create a more effective translation tool that focuses on speech recognition. He launched Lingmo and now has a suite of consumer and business translation products, including translation watches. Danny, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to ask, uh, are you originally from Sydney? Were you born there? Yeah, just north of Sydney um, in Gosford, so about an hour north. Okay. And then um, growing up, um, what were some of uh, your influences? What did you do for fun? Um, growing up near the beach, you know, I did a lot of surfing, um, you know, football, um, really heavily into a rugby union, you know, not football, right. not soccer, but um, rugby union. So, you know, really heavily into the, to the beach life, to be honest. Sure. So um, in, in reading on your background, Danny, I saw that you started as a plumber. Um, what guided you towards that? Um, well, I've done a few, you know, I was a few trades in between. Um, so what kind of guided me to, to be a plumber was, um, I guess it was my, my parents sort of pushing me into it. Um, when I say push me into it, push me into a, a career that, um, that was always going to be there. Someone's always going to need, um, obviously a plumber to, to yeah, clean block toilets and stuff. Um, so I guess that's what really guided me to to that because I did a lot of carpentry and building, but all my friends were builders. So um, I realised, you know, if once we we finished our apprenticeship, um, that if we all graduated at the same time, you know, we all can't start a business together, or we all, you know, can't go for the same job. So I thought, oh, I'll try something different, and that's why I went into into the plumbing. Wow. So <laughs> sounds like you were always good with your hands, though, and that was kind of the uh, the thinking. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, being a plumber, so in the early days, you know, always could visualize things and, and, and being a plumber, um, and I guess that's how it sort of brought onto the tech world as well, is plumbers, need to, we need to be able to go into a room that's just timber studs and, and there's nothing there. And the owner goes, I want my toilet there. I want a shower there. I want a hand basin or faucet there. And we've got to visualize where, what all the pipes behind the wall have to look like. But then we also have to visualize what it looks like at the end, because if we mount a toilet to the wall and we drill in the wrong spot, we're going to drill in the pipes that we did before. So we have to, you've got to sort of visualize the end product and in between what could go wrong. Sure. No, absolutely. That makes complete sense. Um, Danny, do you have siblings? Uh, yeah, I've got a younger sister. Okay. 
And is she like in in a trade or is she in tech? Um, no, she's actually um, she's she done um, beauty therapy, so as a trade, so like a um, you know um, make uh, hair, nails, makeup, and and stuff. Um, but she's gone into my her husband, so my brother-in-law is a, a builder, so quite a successful one, and does really nice big homes, um, like um, sort of luxurious ones. Um, so she's got still obviously a bit of trade, you know. With a, yeah. with a partner. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Danny, you had this um, seminal life event where you talk about how you almost lost everything in a fire. And um, I saw this name, it's called Maytech Enterprises. Was that in the, the name of your team? Oh, yeah. So that was, that was an original company. So I've had a few companies before this one. Um, so Maytech Enterprises, that was what I, I, I combined my sort of, again, the, the vision of... Um, the plumbing, but also in um, manufacturing of, um, of trailers, you know, sort of a passion I had for that. And yeah, you know, we had, um, you know, some family members that, that, you know, were pretty, you know, nearly lost everything in, in fires, you know. And from that, I sort of put my plumbing and again, my visualization side and, and created a trailer that anyone could tow, you know, you could have it here and you could tow it behind your car on a farm. And if there's a little grass fire shot up, You've got water tank there, um, ready to go. So from that, you know, we I, I, I did that as a hobby, to be honest. Um, and it's you know it, it was it was good. You know, we sold to I sold to the um, to the army here, um, the government, and um, you know, yeah, we had a we got a government um, the AFP, so Australian Federal Police, over in um, Papua New Guinea. So they took a, a few few trailers there as well, and mining companies and stuff. So that was sort of the, that was really the start of the garage business, if you want to call it that, because um, I literally put everything together in my garage. Nice, nice. Okay. Well, and that led you to um, solar panels or solar products. Yeah. So in the plumbing industry, um, actually, when I started, when I was doing the hobby, I did a lot of networking um, for the trailers and tried to you know get more more trailers out. And I was introduced to a solar company who was looking for a licensed plumber, um, of which I was. So what I did was I was um, I, I looked after their solar hot water products and I had to, um, you know, we used third party um, part, um, components to start, but then that, during the solar boom here, the parts started to get really expensive um, and they, the owners of the business then asked if I could design, manufacture and import um, solar hot water products and then under my license here, we would, um, we would install them as well as on the customer um, customer homes. So that's kind of where the solar side of it come in is really more the plumbing, you know, plumbing and using my expertise. Again, that was something where I had to, I seen the products that were out there. I had to visualize on how we could make them different and differentiate from them. So the customers would want to put them on their homes and they were actually effective and, um, you know, had better warranty and, and so on. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Then, uh, it felt like you were involved with a few different businesses. There was, uh, Global Creations, Club CEO, and yeah. this app called Jabo. Yeah, so a lot of those were all my side projects. So I still did the plumbing during the day and then um, all those other ones up through the night. And I think where with those projects um, was, you know, with, with um, Global Creations, that was more using my influence that I had, that I learned within, that I was still doing the stuff in China and stuff with the manufacturers on bridging the gap between Australia and China and, and um, communication between businesses. Um, but a lot of those, well, all, and then Jabo, 
a lot of those businesses or products, sorry, I wouldn't call them business, those products there were, I think what I learned in those days, and it's, it's what may be different for where I am now in, with Lingmo and, and, and the business partners I've got on board, is I was following the craze for a lot of those. Do you know what I mean? So Jabo was a, um, uh, an app which you could edit and add text to, to photos, images, whatever, whatever you needed, and you could customize the text to suit. So it could be in, you know, Arial script, it could be in Times Numeral, it could be whatever script you wanted on that particular photo. And that was kind of when Instagram got bought by Facebook for a billion dollars and, you know, everyone was doing that. So I kind of followed the, the I was kind of a sheep then, I followed the, the craze. Um, and then you're obviously trying to get investment in with those to take them to the next level. You sit there and you, you think, um, well, I created this. I've put my hard, hard-earned money into this. I don't want to be giving you enough, any equity or, uh, you know, as much as what you want. And that's where, you know, sort of the, the being naive about it was. And, you know, I went to, after that, I've gone to a couple of, um, you know, startup conferences and stuff and get people asking questions. And I say, well, you've got to give something away. You can't, you know, you the mentality there was I, I created, it was mine. I don't want to give anything away. And learning from that is you can have, and obviously they didn't go anywhere. Um, and the lessons learned from that is you can have a hundred percent of something that's worth nothing, or you can have 50% of something that's worth, you know, 50% of something that's worth a lot of money. Oh, understood. Got it. Um, so, Leading up to Lingmo, the seminal event with the police officer, that happened in 2010? 2013 it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you were there on business for one of these other uh, enterprises you had? Or sort yeah, for the solar business. So I, I still did, the, I was doing the solar business over a number of years, or, you know, I worked for the company and all these other projects were the side ones of the, you know, um, I still, my main job was solar of a night was all these other projects, but I was in China um, specifically for, this is when we really started to ramp up with the solar business on finding manufacturers for the products that we designed. Um, so yeah, I was there for, um, for that sort of aspect of it. Gotcha. Well, um, share with us the stories for the benefit of the audience. So, so what happened was, um, you know, it still, it still brings a smile on my face thinking of what could have happened, but, um, I was, so it was the first time I've ever been to China. I was in Shanghai and I was there with a, a colleague who, um, introduced us to, um, who was introducing us to the manufacturers. And at that point he had been to China, you know, he was there every second month. So he was, he was a local and I, we were actually shopping. We we're at the front of a big shopping complex, you know, um, looking for, you know, your fake Louis Vuitton bags and all that for the wife. And I reached into my, my pocket and, and went for my passport and I wasn't there. And I thought, okay, he's having a joke with me, trying to scare me because it was my first time in China. And I asked him, where's my passport? And, you know, this went on for about five minutes. And he actually had a, a serious look on his face and said, I don't have your passport. So then I panicked and um, I was trying to find where the consulate was and no one could speak English around me. So I went up to a, a police officer, you know, that was really close by and, and started speaking to him and he worked out he didn't speak English either, but I knew he could possibly help me. So I downloaded, which is now a competitor's app in, our, in the consumer side, um, I downloaded their app um, just to, to try and break the ice with this police officer. And I just said four words, you know, hello, how are you? 
and um, it come out and said to the police officer, hello, I love you. <laughs> so instead of uh, ni hao ma, it was waini. Exactly. And, and then, you know, kind of long story short, when, you know, police officer was good in it with the end, at the end of it. Um, but, you know, it just realized, it made me realize how, you know, this was a big company at the time. Um, how could their system be so wrong? Yeah. Um, and how, and then the other thing is how, how many, how many other people are in that exact same position, yeah. but might not be as fortunate as the other person, you know, thinking, you know, finding them amusing at the other end. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Well, and, um, you had the, uh, the, the great wisdom and foresight to, to launch Lingmo. And, uh, I know it took uh, several years for it, uh, to come to fruition. Um, and uh, you self-funded quite a bit of it before you got to, uh, I guess, your MVP. Um, yeah. but, but share with us what that uh, journey was like. Um, you know, in, in the early days, like once that, was, um, that, that incident happened, um, I did a lot of research um, into the industry to find out how this could be so wrong and, and, and why a big player, you know, with, with a big player in particular, and I worked out within the translation industry that um, it wasn't just this big player, it was a lot of them um, were focusing on the wrong areas. But it took, I think, you know, people in the tech, you know, within those businesses that were focused on the translation, translation, and it took someone like myself that wasn't um, in the tech industry to really work out, okay, well, there's got to be an answer to this. And this is where my you know, thought coming forward was. Um, and I, I worked out that, Companies were focusing on the translation part at that point in time, not the speech recognition. Mm -hmm. So you can have the best translation in the world, but if the input of speech is being picked up incorrectly, it snowballs for the rest of it. And that's where you get incorrect translations. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I come back and, and, and put the business plan together and, and all that, like I had done with all the other businesses. And again, went out and you know, hit the pavement and, and spoke to some angel investors um, that's, that I kind of knew at the time that I'd already approached for these other businesses. And quite simply, they said no um, for, for two reasons. You're going against the big players, yeah. um, one. And then the second one is you're a plumber. And, you know, oh, wow. you know no industry or knowledge in that, that area. So um, at that point, um, you know, we just finished building a brand new house. Um, I somehow convinced the wife to let, to, to let us sell it and, um, and put the proceeds into to building the business and creating the MVP. Um, I assembled a team that, we, that are still with us today um, out, of, out of Pakistan. The, the companies and the individuals I spoke to in these other regions, they thought inside the box, they didn't think outside the box, and I, that's not what I needed. Then I went to, to, the, um, to the guys that, that, again, they're like family now with, with, that work with us, um, and and they said, yeah, let's give it a shot. You know, they were willing to work outside the box and working with me, um, in particular, not knowing the industry, which they it's probably an asset because when they started thinking inside the box, I actually come in and go, well, I don't I don't know what your text box look like. I'm I'm thinking of the visual side of of it and, and the functionality and ask the right questions and we tr we tried things and they end up working. From that point, from from the earlier businesses. Um, you know, don't try, you know, don't think about money, think about the product. So, um, you know, the money that it could, you could get for selling and stuff. So I thought about the product and what did I need? I needed um, to commer commercialize it, which me being plumbing, I didn't, I didn't have that experience. So 
So it brought Darren on to help commercialize it. And then we brought our other partner on, Peter, to, um, to help bring in um, some angel investment to take it to the next level. So uh, from that point, you know, I learned, you know, you give something away to, to get a result. Otherwise, I'd probably been, Ningmo wouldn't have eventuated from that because it would have been the same mindset as, well, it's mine, it's mine. But yeah. I didn't want to go down that same route and learn the uh, I wanted to learn the lessons and, and implement the lessons I've learned into to what we've got now. Nice. Well, and um, you've created a highly successful suite of products. Um, I was reading how you've got 85% accuracy and uh, low latency uh, results within five seconds. Uh, it comes down to speech recognition, straight sure. up. Um, the, the clearer the input for, for voice to voice, so we do, t we do a lot of a range of suites now. So. We do, you know, transcription, so it doesn't have to be translation. Um, it can be just transcription of audio files, voice-to-voice um, -voice translation, you know, text-to-speech, text-to-text um, translation as well. So we offer a full suite. But with the, the low latency, um, that really comes down to the, the speech recognition. So, you know, we work with a partner out of the US that, that we implemented their noise cancellation in there. Um, we, we, we trained, um, you know, using IBM Watson, we trained to learn on nuances and dialects, um, which again, improves the input going in because if you've got, um, as an example, you know, us English being inputted in and I'm speaking Australian, it takes a little bit longer because it's trying to pick up the Australian dialect. So we've done all that training, which helps the latency, um, and then improves the accuracy as well, you know? What we don't, what we, we tell our customers is, um, don't ever expect a hundred percent accuracy. Even human interpreters um, are inaccurate in places, especially when it comes to contextually translating. You know, we could be getting an interpreter for a that's that's um, you know translating Mandarin, for example, that's knowledgeable on the solar industry, but I use that same interpreter for the tech industry, and the translation can be quite different. Nice, nice. You know, uh, Danny, from a user perspective, um, one of the most frustrating things about uh, existing technology um, is uh, the, the, the familiar versus uh, uh, formal usage and, and conjugation around verbs. So um, I speak a few languages myself, um, but every time I want to just check about a conjugation in German or in French, um, Google's kind of useless for it because it always gives me the formal. Well, if I'm texting my buddy, he's going to be like, what, what happened? Why are you pissed? <laughs> exactly. And so I, I imagine uh, Lingmo's corrected for that. Yeah, it is. It's, and you know, working, I had a phone call with one of our big clients um, that we're doing a beta project with now. Um, they're a well-known client literally around the world. And, and it was quite pleasing for her to say that, Translation, the translation industry and translation like product, like to, to have a product out, is actually quite hard. It's not just as simple as little trans, you know, translating one word to from one language to another. Because you know, you know, for Chinese, for example, you know, if it does literal translation from Chinese back to English, you actually sit there and you, you've got to strain yourself to really understand what's being said. So we we have. And we and it's an ongoing thing. It's not you know that's and that's one thing going from you know being a plumber, you know you build something in the wall. That's it. That's staying there. Um, whereas right now um, in the tech, you build something. You got to keep reiterating and keep improving that week on week. So yeah. the, the training process is ongoing, and it's it's different for each language as well. 
So, um, you know, we start off with a, you know, we start off with a formal, um, you know, translation, but then once we have that and that's at the accuracy, we move for um, improving each one of each language in each sort of, you know, terminology, contextual understanding. And then when we have customers, they say they want to be able to train it in different industries. Then we start looking at that because, you know, the airline industry, if you put um, airline terminology into a normal translation solution, it's going to translate it literally, but it's not going to be able to understand on the other side. So that's where we can go in and train specific words in specific industries to, to suit based on the client's requirements. That's great. That's really fantastic. Um, you developed a translation earpiece, which you launched at uh, the UN in Geneva in 2017. Yep. Um, has that product taken off? I imagine it's exceptionally popular. Um, it was popular in the early days, but what we did was we actually pivoted from that to a smartwatch. Um, and, you know, we sold a thousand of those in, in 16 days. So, um, you know, the, what, what the feedback was from that is it's quite, it was quite cumbersome back in the days, you know, it was three years ago. So improving it now is, um, you know, we, we can improve the, the style, the look of it. The functionality works the same. But what we found from, from customers was it was because you needed two earpieces. Um, to, to, so I'd wear one and you'd wear one. And they found it quite hard to invade someone's personal space on the streets to get them to put an earpiece on that they can't talk to. Wow. You know, they can't talk to that person. Yeah. Um, so in a business sense where we're talking in a business meeting, yeah, we can wear it, it's quite easy and, and, and it's easy to use. But a lot of people that bought it were traveling. Um, and if I want to ask you a directions in Shanghai, I'll ask the police officer for something. Could you imagine me trying to go to the police officer and put something on his head? I would have been arrested straight out. No questions asked because you would have thought I was trying to hit him. Yeah. Um, so we actually went from that to a, to a smartwatch where I have it, on my, you know, have it on my wrist. I control it. We do come close, but you don't need to touch anything near me. Um, I run it all off my smartwatch. So it works with the same functionality. Um, you know, it's independent SIM card. It has all the functions of a smartwatch we created ourselves. Um, with our firmware on it, which has our app in built into it. And I, I push the button for English speaking to it. It comes out the speaker on the smartwatch, so you can hear it. And then you speak German or whatever it is back into it. And I hold the button that comes out um, in English. So that we, we redesigned the earpiece to suit that just for that personal space. Um, because everyone loved it. It's just, it was just getting over that barrier. And we didn't want to have, you know, put more money into a product that was had that limitations of, of, of barrier for our, for our customers. And there was always going to be a feedback coming, coming back to us. Yeah, no, completely makes sense. Um, some of the features you have on there, um, talk to you. That's a, that's the voice message. You just talk into it and then it gives it in a different language. Yeah. So talk to you. We have that on the smartwatch. We have it available on the app store as well. Um, so we have our consumer products now. So this is part of our consumer-based products. Then we moved, we, we pivoted at eight months ago to, to enterprise, which we'll go into later. But the talk to you one is, it's cross-border communication. So the easiest way to, to, to look at it is, it's a similar version of, of a WhatsApp or a WeChat, yep. but you can send a message. So I choose my language in, um, in English. You receive, you choose German, you receive it in German. You speak in German, I receive it in English. 
um, via text or via you know text to speech. So yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and just in hearing some of your other interviews and the videos you have up, um, looks like you, you you sell quite a bit into the Brazilian market. Is that still the case? Yeah. So for that's for our consumer products. Yeah, Brazilian the Brazilian market was was our one of our biggest selling markets. Um, you know, there was a few <laughs> a few hurdles we learned across the way there, as in you know, importing products there, you know, sending from Australia with import tax and all that. Yeah. Um, but it still was one of, even people come across that, it was one of our biggest markets. Um, and, you know, with, it's still pretty high up on our list with our consumer apps and, and stuff. Um, but the, 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 no one's actually ever told us why it's one of our biggest markets. And, and what we put our research down to is, you know, we have Brazilian Portuguese as one of our languages. Um, and in South America, Brazilian is the only country that speaks Portuguese. All the rest of them speak Spanish around it. So, you know, cross-border communication and, and, and trade and business um, is, is what we're putting, it, putting that down to. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and, so, and let's talk about some of your enterprise solutions now. Um, well, what yeah, are so, the products you have there? So, so we still have our consumer products. I talked to you, our, our smartwatch um, available now, um, but we pivoted 18 months ago to, to be enterprise sort of focused because after the, the launch of the, the earpiece in, in Geneva and the publicity we got from that, we had a lot of big, big enterprise customers coming or clients coming to us, um, you know, from the airline industry, hotel industry and, and so on, um, asking to, to use our solution or customize it to suit their, um, you know, their business needs. And what we found was we had our products built in the early days for consumer and consumer scale by app store and, and, and hardware devices, but to customize it to suit an enterprise and make that scalable. Um, it, it, the software doesn't, the underlying software doesn't change, it's just how we packaged it. And it, become quite costly to the to these enterprise customers and they kind of got turned off and, and stuff like that because they didn't want to pay for it. So with more and more enterprise customers coming to us, um, we actually looked at the consumer side where we had a lot of competition to the enterprise side where we provided customized solutions and also, you know, off the shelf off the shelf solutions. Um, and, you know, the, the pros um, sort of come in for the enterprise because there wasn't as many competitors. Um, the enterprise customers actually want that. So we spent 18 months pivoting, uh, you know, redesigning our software to be scalable for the enterprise solutions. And, you know, to date we've got um, products which we're launching now um, for, for live chat, for example. Um, mm. so, so people that have um, uh, live chats within their... Um, you know, within their website. You know, the, the thing with this is people have websites that, that can, you, you know, people can read in nine, 10 languages, but they've got a live chat that the agent can only understand English. So you, you, you're catering to the business, to the, to the world in these languages. But if someone wants, you know, the, the live, you know, uh, they don't want to be calling up anymore. They want an answer and they want it now. Exactly. And um, so we've got a, a solution where it embeds with live chat, um, third-party live chat platforms, and they communicate. They you know choose your language, and um, the customer types in Spanish, and the representative on the other other side from the company um, is in English, and they type in English, and it feels like that they're speaking the same language, but it's actually two different languages, and it's all done in real time. And what that does is, you know, what we the feedback that we got from from companies is. 
it's it's helping with their um, customer um, you know, satisfaction because they feel like they're it's more personalised to the to the the customer feels more personalised to the brand um, because as before if you were talking Spanish and the person come back in English sorry I can't understand you you lost the customer there potentially unless they're really loyal and and the customer acquisition costs for companies is getting higher and higher and they don't want to be spending especially during COVID now. Um, you know, they want to be able to retain customers. So we're giving that personalized experience to, to their customers and between the customers and the company to, um, to, to bridge that gap. And then, you know, there's another one that we've got available now. So anyone that has a chatbot available on their platform, um, generally chatbots are trained in one language and companies spend a lot of money in training that. So there, there are a few different, um, uh, platforms that we're, we're starting to the enterprise and it's more customer it's more aimed at the um the companies interacting with their customers and giving them satisfaction that's that's essentially what we've built the products around and that's and that was the feedback in the early days when these bigger companies say we want to be able to communicate with our customers that's all we want to do and so we've we've kind of pivoted to to that side and and it's and again during covid i think that's um that we wouldn't be having this conversation right now if we didn't pivot. I'd like to say we planned it, but I don't want to say we planned what happened. Um, but, you know, in the consumer, our consumer side, it, you need to be within 1.5 metres of each other for it to work, for you to pick up the voice and, and stuff. Where the enterprise side, now more than ever, people are just starting to go back out, but they still want to engage via live chat or chatbots and, and with companies. So... And there's always that language barrier. So we hear in Australia all the time, you know, oh, I'm an Australian company, we don't need translation. The, the stats are 17%, 17% of the population speak a language other than English. So, you know, if you, if you can cater to all the population, then you've got a, you know, um, uh, a, better, a better business and, a, you know, better opportunities. No, absolutely, 100%. Um, you know, one of the visions you expressed was that you'd love to see real-time translation on a phone call or maybe a Zoom call like this. Um, is that still, and then in the chat part of it feeds into that as well, just sort of this real-time uh, immediacy. Um, is that still the primary objective of, of Lingmo? Yeah, um, you know, it's one of our goals. You know, I think, what, again, what we learned, what I learned from the businesses and what we've learned early on in the days, you know, myself and the, and the partners and our, and our team um, here at Lingmo is that we can focus on, the, you know, that's still our primary focus is to get that end goal of picking up your phone, being able to call anyone anywhere in the world, speak any language and, they, and you can communicate. The thing that led it, we've got that, I just want to make it straight, we've got that technology now, nice. but what what lets us down is the network connectivity, you know, to make it seem like it's at the moment we've got, you know, we've got it where when we've had it for a couple of years, we've just put it in, in, in hold just to wait for the networks to, to catch up. And what, what it currently is now is like I'm picking up a phone. It's like, remember, you know, what, 15, 20 years ago where you call international and it was the long, you know, sort of, hello, and then you, you feel no one's there and then you're finally here. That's where that's at at the moment, just because of the network connectivity. Yeah. Um, so we've still got that goal, but what we're doing with this enterprise side and the solutions that we've made scalable is keep the revenue coming in for that while we can focus on the bigger projects um, because these bigger projects take, you know, three, four, you know, up to eight, 10 months to, to eventuate. 
and we want to be able to keep innovating while we do it because each time we get a new customer come to us and wants customization they ask if we can do something and we go oh i guess we can and then we visualize it and we do it and then it's something that can be re um, reiterated to our other products as well yes. so yeah our end goal is still is still that um and and we're getting close we are getting close um, we're working with a couple of um you know big telcos around the world um to see if hopefully the 5g can um can assist in the latency issue that so our, our computing power and our software translation that is is powerful enough to do it in real time um it's just getting it to and from each other that's that's where we're and that's that's outside of our hands on it gotcha no, that makes a great deal of sense um this has been such a great conversation um uh, Danny, uh, how many employees do you have at Lingmo at the moment? Um, at the moment, we've got 10. Um, okay. So spread, yeah. spread out across Australia and Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, are you, from a capital perspective, are you looking to, to raise any capital or how do you... We're in the middle of raising the fund now, yeah. Gotcha. yeah. And what, yeah. Uh, what stage is that? Um, so we're, we're doing a bridge round at the moment. Um, so we're in between sort of seed and series A, um, yeah. and I guess that's puts it mainly because of the, the pivot that we did, um, yeah. to, um, to the enterprise side. Um, but we're, we're currently going through that raise right now. Gotcha. Uh, and how much are you looking to raise? Um, we're looking to raise, you know, it's between 350 to 1.5 million US. Oh, US. Okay. We, we, don't, we don't ever gather data. You know, our system works as sort of a waterfall. So the, yeah. the, the, so, uh, the, um, the speech and the text comes through, we train our system and then it goes through like a waterfall and we don't see it again. Um, if customers want or companies want to retain data, we actually get dedicated servers for them to retain their data because we're not gonna retain everyone's data. You know, that's for GDPR and, and, and stuff like that. So, right. yeah. Well, I would like to pick up one of your watches, so I will be uh, becoming on a our website. Customer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, would love to test that out. And uh, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to share? No, it's pretty. We pretty much covered everything. You know, data and and um, you know about Lingmo and its its journey. And you know, I guess it just, just you just reiterate that. Um, I guess to your listeners and everyone that um, you know nothing's an overnight success, and it is. It is. You know bloody hard work to be honest so um especially going from one industry to another um and yeah but no everything's been covered well uh, danny this has been a great conversation and um you know one of the side effects we're seeing with this podcast and part of that has to do with my background being a former uh, venture capitalist uh, private equity investor an entrepreneur as well that um uh, a lot of uh, uh, attention comes to companies who are on our, our podcast and there are inquiries about investment and so forth. So uh, if you'd like to share your deck once you have it, uh, yeah, yeah. Be great. I, I'm personally interested and I know a handful of others um, who would uh, who would love to take a look. Yeah, sure. We've got a, I've got an information member in there and we'll send that across and, um, and yeah, happy to answer any questions and, and go from there. Sounds great. Well, again, really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for making the time. No worries. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.